Good morning. Uh, I pray that you were able to get some uh, good rest last night. And uh, this is a, a topic that we have to face every single day, thousands of times every day, all of our decisions. We've, we've made hundreds and hundreds of them already just to be here. And I'm thankful that you made the decision to come back, which is encouraging. And it's a special blessing, too, to have Dr. Hardy here, um, uh, a friendship over the years. And uh, we served together uh, around eight years at Grace Community Church. And just uh, it's just a, a close camaraderie with the different staff at that time. And, and uh, But I'm not going to tell you stories about him because he would have more to tell about me. And uh, he gets the last word in tomorrow, so I'm not going to even go down that path. But uh, they're all good. They're all good. Uh, Carrie and Pam and their family, uh, we were just uh, blessed. And, and the friendships that we uh, were able to make at Grace Community Church during that time. All right, we are uh, from last night. Some of you may not have been here last night, but we were just giving kind of a, a big behind the scenes, the importance of decision-making, uh, various beliefs and practices about decision-making. And again, people, uh, they mean well. I, I think their desire is they want to please God, they want to glorify God, but they don't know how. And often it's not part of discipleship material in churches. They're just not helping individuals how to know and do God's revealed will. And so they're over-searching, relying on all kinds of different methods to use, which we're going to cover in this session. All the various ways that people rely on or abuse and trying to find out what does God want for them and their lives. I'd like you to turn uh, back to Colossians chapter 1. It's just a good passage uh, that would be good to set to memory but to pray for yourself, to pray for one another, to pray for the church that you're a part of. Uh, Paul said, we just didn't, we have not ceased to keep praying this one petition. One petition that he and Timothy were praying regularly for the church at Colossae. And it was similar for Philippians as well, the church at Philippi. So here in verse 9 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul and his we there is he and Timothy. Timothy is up there in verse 1. Uh, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's easy to remember. I mean, that's just one petition, that you be filled under the dominating control of the knowledge of God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's the, the, re, the purpose, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then what that will look like in your life, you'll be bearing fruit in every good work, you'll be increasing in the knowledge of God, you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, with all endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a good reminder again of just 
the constant prayer throughout the day, Lord, help me to just know your word, study it, spend time in it, that it would have that dominating control uh, over my life, that I could walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord in every respect. Uh, Last night we looked at this quote from J.I. Packer, uh, in which he says, wrong ideas about God's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. You can't live right if we don't think and believe right. It's a lot of these practices that people end up doing, and some of these that uh, I'm going to cover in this session, it's an autobiography. I'm very familiar with these ways. I used them for years. And uh, it, it doesn't lead you in the path that is a walk pleasing to the Lord, because if you're not following his revealed will, you're going to get off into subjectivity, which I was very much a part of for so many years. So I want to preface this. We've all used these different methods. As I cover them, there's even et cetera at the end. So there's, there's more ways. But we're familiar with these. And it may have been early in your Christian life. It may be presently in your Christian life. But we've all used these. And I, I want to, again, say I'm not in any way judging people's motives. I think people want to please God. I think people want to glorify God. But they, they're just, it's a zeal, but maybe not according to knowledge. It's just not um, taught from the word of God. How do we make decisions? So I'm going to skip, I mean, I don't like skipping a rock over water. It's going to go rather quickly. There are about 20 different ways here. And I have an hour. So I'm going to about two minutes. I'm going to be uh, spending on each of these. Last night we also looked at a narrative, uh, studying God's word properly, the most abused section of scripture in decision making is the abuse of narrative. About 65% of the Bible is narrative. And a way that I can remember, it's helpful for me, narrative is not normative for the believer. Narrative tells us what happened, and it's not normative. You don't go into narrative and say, well, Abraham did this, or Moses did this, so I'm going to do it. Another statement that may be helpful is all of God's word is for us, but not all of God's word is directly to us. When God said things specifically for Paul, it was for Paul. I mean, especially in the book of Acts and different situations, I don't go on a cruise ship and say, well, you know what, we're going to wreck and no life will be lost. Because God said, well, he said that to Paul. He did not say that to me. So all of God's word is for us as profit for instruction and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. But not all of God's word is directly to us. So we have to study it carefully. And we looked at that last night of the basic studying the hermeneutics are principles of interpretation from God's word. So let's go ahead and we'll sort of dive in. Um, and again, just quickly on some of these, misusing the Bible. We don't ever want to intentionally misuse the Bible. Uh, they're, they're, we're growing in our theology. Uh, you cannot be a Christian very long until you're going, oh, I thought the text meant this, or this passage meant that, 
And then the more you study it, the more it's exposited. Uh, as we preach and teach, you go, oh, I didn't read the verse before, I didn't read the verse after. Oh, I, I had that wrong. Don't intentionally misuse scripture. And the better we study God's word carefully, the less we will misuse it. Uh, last night I used that illustration of the promise calendar uh, where someone just went in and picked out a phrase from Luke 4, 7, uh, the passage, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Promise of the day uh, for March 10th and that promise calendar, but they didn't say who was saying that, and that happened to be Satan. So you, you just don't want to abuse the text. There are quite a few verses that people have become rich uh, in making plaques uh, over uh, and pictures that they hang up in their you may even have some of these, where you just have a verse, but you don't have the context of the verse, and so they misuse it. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, you can't do everything. You can't go out and lift up a car. You can't... And It's talking about living in a contented way, with much, without much, however the Lord wants me to live, I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. It's the context. Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you are going to go, oh, no, we have that verse hanging up. Uh, I know the plans I, ha- I have for you and plans to prosper. And you go, oh, I like that. Well, there are other verses that say, uh, my plan is calamity for you. Uh, he says that to Israel. He's going to take them, uh, Judah, off into Babylon. There's, there's other verses, but we don't make plaques out of them. But the verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, you have to have verse 10, and it tells you who that promise is for. It happens to be the children of the Israelites who were taking off, uh, taken out into Babylon uh, for the 70-year captivity. It was their, to their children. It was a promise to them that God was going to bring them back. So just verses before and after will help you as you look at a, any kind of a passage in Scripture. So don't misuse the Scripture. Uh, letter B, uh, personal advice. And that is without checking out the advice. Godly people can advise you wrongly. In Joshua 9, you have the uh, Joshua consulted with his fellow leaders, uh, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, when the Gibeonites came over the hill and they had uh, deceived them by having moldy bread and worn out sandals. You remember that whole scenario? And it says they did not consult the Lord. They just took advice from one another, and they were deceived. Godly people can advise you wrongly. The Apostle Peter did that to Jesus. Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and what did Peter say? No, no, we're not going to Jerusalem. We're not going up there, we're going going to do something else. The words you never want to hear Jesus say to you is, get thee behind me, Satan. It was not godly advice. So people can advise you, but godly people can also advise you wrongly. You have to examine the advice with Scripture. Does it conflict with Scripture or any biblical principles? And we can go on uh, with other situations there with personal advice. Seek advice, right? In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. It might be better to ask people, what biblical commands or principles come to your mind that would help us in our decision that we're about to make? 
that would solicit better advice. What biblical commands and principles come to your mind that you could share with us in the weighty decision that we have to make? Thirdly, circumstances or slash results. I remember Dr. J. Adams saying, circumstances do not make your decisions. They bring you up to a fork in the road where you have to make a biblically informed decision. Circumc- <laughs> you know, one time I said circumcisions. Um, <laughs> that's a painful way to make decisions. <laughs> circumstances. Don't make your decisions. Don't go with the flow. You have to always be responsible. God holds us responsible to make biblically informed decisions. Again, back to Joshua 9. Uh, it looked like the circumstances with the Gibeonites were accurate. The bread was moldy, the sandals were worn out, but that was deception among the Gibeonites. You can't just go with how what the circumstances are or results. When Moses hit the rock, when the Lord told him to speak to the rock in Numbers chapter 20, what happened? Water came out. Moses did it wrong, but there were results. There are people who are getting results, people in stadiums filled with people on Sunday morning, but they're not preaching the gospel. So you can't just look at results and don't let circumstances make your decisions. They lead you up to a fork in the road to make a biblically informed decision. Letter D, a setting up conditions or Gideon and his fleeces. You know that uh, in Judges chapter six, this is not a good text for decision making principles. Gideon is not an example on how to make decisions by putting God to the test. There are people who disappeared in the Old Testament. They died very quickly by putting God to the test. God was very patient with Gideon, but he had told Gideon what he wanted him to do with the Midianites. He should have just said, okay, Lord. But no, I'm going to, you got to prove yourself to me and here's a fleece that has to be wet, and this has to be dry, and then the next day, no, this has to be a dry, and the other ground around it wet. That is putting God to the test. It's not, don't do that in your decision-making. God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to uh, sell our home within two hours. You know, people put God to the test, and that is not correct. That is not pleasing to God. Then you have uh, letter E, open and closed doors. Again, one of Dr. Adams' famous phrases is, open doors can lead to elevator shafts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there, four times the Apostle Paul prayed for open doors. And when you look at the context, all he was praying for was opportunities to witness for Jesus. That's all that meant. That's all he used that for is, Lord, I pray for an open door to talk to a person about Jesus Christ at work or as you travel. And if you use it that way, I mean, that's more consistent with how it's used in Scripture. Open opportunities to talk about Jesus. And one time the Lord opened up a door of opportunity 
and Paul decided to go in a different direction because wherever Paul was going, he was going to talk about Jesus. And the text doesn't say, and God was angry with Paul. This is what the, the good thing is about the scripture, one of the beneficial things, is that we have God's commentary on what people do in the Bible. Once the Bible closes, 100 A.D., I don't have God's commentary on everyone else in church history. So they may do all kinds of things, uh, godly people and their practices, but I don't have God's commentary on people throughout church history. But we have God's commentary on the people in the Bible. And so when Moses hit the rock, rather than speaking to the rock, God was angry with Moses. And there was a consequence for that. When Paul was said, no, I'm not going in that direction, that open opportunity, I'm going to go talk about Jesus somewhere else, I look and I read, it doesn't say God was angry with Paul because Paul was just going to preach Christ wherever he was at. So remember that too in church history is that we don't always have God's commentary. I don't know what God was pleased or not pleased. Did God do it, uh, have results of a person because of what they did or maybe in spite of what they did? There are people who left their families to go talk to Jesus in other countries. If they left their families, well, I have a trouble with that when I read the scriptures. And we don't have God's commentary on was he using this person in spite of or because of. Letter F, uh, ideas, inner feelings, desires, and impressions. Now, this is a, this is a loaded one. Uh, I mean, I say that this is the one most used by believers, relying on their ideas that come to their mind, inner feelings, impressions, promptings, checks in their spirit. Dr. Donald Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, writes, there are no examples of the Holy Spirit communicating directly to the hearts of believers apart from the Bible. Nor does it command believers to seek such communication. This is not the way God communicated to his people in Scripture, but it's the most sought-after way today among believers. There's no example of it in the Bible, but it's the most commonly used way today, which kind of lets you uh, know right there, rather than the objective word of God, they're relying much more on the subjectivity of impressions, promptings, and etc. Pastor Brian last night uh, made a, a comment. It was taken... Uh, uh, Gary Friesen, in his book on decision-making and the will of God, said impressions could be produced by any number of sources. That's why you, I have no way to prove it's God if I have an impression. Just say you have an impression. But he says here, impressions can be made by God, Satan, an angel, demon, human emotions, hormonal imbalance, insomnia, medication, or just an upset stomach. You have no way to know where that impression came from. And that we dare not get into identity theft, where we're taking God's name and applying it to any impression prompting idea that you have. But you may say, well, Stuart, if I have a good desire, that's definitely God. 
Now, Carrie's going to talk about desires and distinguishing desires uh, later this morning. But I want to take you to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, often referred as the Davidic covenant chapter. So this is King David, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. I'm going to show you advice. I want to show you desires, good desires. It says, now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king, this is David, said to Nathan the prophet, one of the most godly men around Israel at the time, this is how God communicated to his people through a prophet. And he says this to Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. That's all he said, but what he meant was, I'm in a palace, the ark is in a tent, I want to build a temple. Nathan picked up on that, because the next verse says, And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Oh, good desire. Build the temple. Godly advice. Nathan the prophet says, go do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. That sounds like a, a go with uh, 50 asterisks by it. And, and I mean, absolutely this is what God's will is. Except the next verse. And that night. But that uh, same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And then he starts telling Nathan what's ahead. And I'm going to summarize this. I'm going to talk about the Davidic covenant on to, to Solomon. This is the wrong guy to build the temple. David's not the guy to build the temple. And now is not the time. Now think about that. Good desire that David had but he should have checked it out with God. I mean, he was telling Nathan, Nathan should have went, you know what, I'm going to have to go talk to God about this because God communicated through the prophets. But Nathan didn't. He thought, good desire, God's in it, go for it. Wrong man, wrong time. But how many times we, we have desires, we have thoughts, we have advice, what a, a good picture of, but still we need to go to, what does scripture say? That is our guide. And when it says there, the word of the Lord appeared, the word of the Lord came to Nathan that night. That was uh, one of the things I ran by uh, Dr. William Barrick, who has uh, since retired from the Master's Seminary, teaching uh, a language expert. He he said, and I remember a, a, uh, another graduate who did his thesis on this, is when it says the word of the Lord came, especially in the Old Testament. And if it doesn't say in a vision or in a dream, it was a personal appearance, what they would call a Christophany. The word of the Lord came, and there he was. The pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany. And Dr. Barrick said, absolutely. And he, he looked at various places like Jeremiah chapter 1, where it says, and he reached out and he touched, uh, Jeremiah says, he touched me, uh, touched his tongue. And it, there, 
it was still a spiritual body, and, and the word of the Lord came, and then the word of the Lord took on flesh in John chapter 1, the incarnation. But the word of the Lord came, and oftentimes it was in a personal appearance. Sometimes it will say in a dream or in a vision, but here he was. Same with Abraham and others. Don't miss uh, the Lord pre-incarnate appearances, even through the Old Testament. So ideas, inner feelings, desires, and impressions, all I would say, could God have given you that desire? Could God have put that thought in your mind? Yeah, he could have. But it also could be other sources. It could just be what you want, what you think, or what others have said. Just don't put God's name on it. That's all. Just say, I have a thought, I have a a desire, I have an impression. Now I need to check them all out with what does the word of God say. But we don't have any occurrences that that's the way God communicated with his children in the throughout scripture. We shouldn't be seeking after all of that. We should seek God's revealed will. That is the most sought after. You'll hear that constantly. And that's the way I was... Uh, trying to make my decisions for so many years. A letter G, led by the Spirit. Uh, it's a statement that's made in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, also in Galatians 5, 18. And it's basically talking in the, both those passages about being led by the Spirit in a path of holiness and sanctification. The Spirit of God is taking us in a path towards Christ-likeness, both in Romans 8 and Galatians chapter 5. It's not hearing voices uh, whispering in your ear. For the Spirit to lead you, it's going to be in the path of holiness towards Christ-likeness according to his word. When people talk about an audible voice, I heard God say, well, how would we know what God's voice would sound like? And we already have his voice, it's been written. Once you leave the Bible, there's no safeguard from error. And there's no way to prove it's God. And audible voices could be made, I mean, could be, people could ex- hear voices, numerous explanations for that. I mean, it could be a, an actual physiological problem of the brain. An auditory issue. It could be lack of sleep for several days. And you're going to start hearing things and seeing things move that aren't moving. It could be complications from medications. I had what they called, after I had a triple bypass surgery some years ago, the doctor, uh, I explained what was happening. I'm hearing stuff. I'm watching things move with my eyes shut. I'm seeing stuff move. I was in the intensive care for 10 days. And he says, you have what's called intensive care psychosis. Well, what is that? He says, you are on so many different medications and you can't sleep. And you're just having hallucinations. You're seeing stuff, and uh, it was weird. It was a strange time. I remember telling my wife, this is the strangest thing. I'm trying to sleep. I, I, it's like, I am seeing stuff. It, it's, uh, so there could be numerous explanations. People saying that they see visions. Even the mystics were going on fasts. Not just fasts from eating. Fasting, and they're sleeping. And it's all been documented, even in three days without sleep, you can begin hallucinating and seeing and hearing all kinds of things. 
I've read some hallucinations written down by students who have fasted from sleep in their exam times. So be very, very careful of people saying, well, I saw uh, and I heard. They may have heard something. We don't, argue, we don't argue their experiences. What do we do? We take them back to something more sure. God's revealed will. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We take them back to something more sure. Another one is misusing prayer. People, There's books written on listening to God through prayer. But the words for prayer, there are about four of them that are used in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, also in Philippians 4. Those words for prayer, like supplication, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, are us talking, not listening. Those words come packed with, you talk, you express to God uh, supplications and praise, and you asking for con- uh, confession and asking for forgiveness. You intercede on behalf of other people. You give thanks to God. It's not listening. Prayer is you talking. So people misuse prayer by thinking you listen. Now, you listen to God's word. You be swift to hear God's word and slow to speak, as James says, with the word of God. But you're quick to pray. You pray without ceasing. Another one is inner inner peace. I just went through the scripture because that's another popular one. Uh, I prayed about it and I have peace about it. Well, prayer is not listening. Uh, and then they'll say, and I have peace, I don't have peace about it or I have peace about it. So I looked at peace and peace isn't used for decision making in the Bible. And that was, uh, news to me because it's so commonly used. Now what a lot of people mean by it is I'm troubled in my mind. Like so-and-so is going to be chosen to be an elder. Well, I don't have peace about it. Well, that sounds very subjective to me. And so I'll ask questions. Do you mean a gut feeling? Or do you mean you have trouble in your mind as you think about this particular person? Oh, that. Yeah, I've watched how he carries on with his wife and how he uh, treats people and... Okay, you're thinking 1 Timothy 3, character qualities, and Titus 1, character qualities, and you're, you're troubled in your mind as you weigh that this person's speech and behavior with the Scripture. Well, that's biblical. But when people say, I don't have peace, that sounds very subjective. And it's not used in the Bible in making decisions. Peace. Uh, if you don't have peace with God, that means you're not saved. Romans 5. Uh, or you're in trouble, there's conflict in the body of Christ. Let the peace of, of, of uh, God rule in your hearts, in Colossians chapter 3. Or you're anxious, and so the peace of God is not walking uh, guard duty around your heart and mind in Philippians 4, but it's just not used for decision-making. A lot of times people will say these kind of things to move you back from correcting them. I'm going to leave my wife. I prayed about it, and I have peace about it. Well, I don't know what you're praying, but that's not biblical. And peace isn't used for decision-making, and what you're doing is sinful. You don't, you know, people put these things out to keep you away. 
or there's a need to teach in the Sunday school and you're able to do it. Well, I just don't have peace about it, which just means leave me alone. And you say, well, what is it that uh, the lack of peace is about? What are you thinking? I'm going to go for your mind, what you're thinking and wanting. Now, another one is devices. Uh, devices uh, it could be flipping coins, drawing straws, scissors, paper, rock, whatever method some people use. The last occurrence that we have in Scripture, they did, in various times, use different things in the Old Testament. The Yumim and Thumim, there's just... God spoke in various ways and through different means. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In times past, he, he was giving revelation, he would speak through the prophets, and they would use different, uh, like... Uh, drawing straws or casting lots or the umim and thumim. But in the last days, it says, he's spoken to us through his son. The last occurrence is Acts one twenty six when they cast lots on the replacement for Judas and the choosing of Matthias. And after that, you don't see this used anymore. It was relying on the Spirit of God who was communicating through uh, the written word of God through the apostles. So we don't use that anymore. We're not flipping coins on major decisions and drawing straws and casting lots and that kind of thing. I had a student come up and say, oh, I'm troubled by what you said because she was on a soccer team at our school. And she says, we flip a coin on which who goes first in the soccer match. And I said, well... I'm talking about in moral decision-making in your life, not in a game. Because if you use the biblical principle of preferring one another, the game would never start <laughs> between two Christian teams. So then moral decision-making. Another uh, occurrence here or another way that people uh, rely on is the signs. They're looking for signs. Some way God is going to communicate to them through signs. Like the numbers on the digital clock that I read last night, 747. Oh, God's telling me to fly to see my relatives. People are looking for signs. But Jesus warned uh, his followers. Uh, He didn't have very good things to say about those who seek signs. He wants us to walk by faith. Even the Jews would seek signs and want Jesus to do miracles. And he would do them, and they still didn't believe. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. I had one guy, I was covering a lot of area of his life and asking questions, and it got into the area of giving to the church, just in his areas of finances. And he said, um, at this time when, uh, he was writing checks, and he said, I, I kind of, we look at speed limit signs as uh, what I de- how I determine what to give on a Sunday. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> but there's a little thing that went back in my mind. If we ever get into a church planting, plant by a real, uh, I mean, a high-level speed highway. Don't, don't be in a neighborhood with 15 yeah. miles per hour. You want to be where it's 70. But that was relying on signs and circumstances again. Isolation. Proverbs 18, there's a proverb there in verse 1 that says, 
He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he wages war against all sound judgment. On the weightier decisions, you ought to consult some godly advice. I I wouldn't trust myself on the weightier decisions. You're talking about a move, job change, and all kinds of things. You want some other godly advice. And sometimes people come up, even to pastors and elders, and say, well, uh, we'll be moving in two weeks. Well, this is the first we've heard about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about job change. and Well, that's a pretty heavy, weighty decision and sought no outside advice. And there's there's... Wisdom in the multitude of godly counsel. But he who isolates himself and the weightier decisions often seeks their own desire and they wage war against all sound judgment. Don't isolate yourself. The next is dreams. Even in the church at Colossae, uh, people were getting in and talking about dreams and visions they were having. Uh, the false teachers. I don't know. Dreams... God doesn't talk to us in dreams. Uh, He talks to us through his clear, revealed will. Dreams, Spurgeon said, your dream is nothing more than your imagination morbidly active. It's just weird. All our dreams are just weird. God's not communicating through dreams. He's already communicated through his word. Uh, We don't talk about our dreams uh, I had one the other day. It was just the most weird thing. And you wake up and you're, whoa, it, it was like it was real. And my wife said, what's wrong? I said, oh, I just had this really weird dream. We don't ask, well, tell us about it. Tell me about it. We don't do that with our kids either when we were when they were young. We didn't ask, tell me about all happened in your dream because it wasn't real. We're to dwell on things that are real and true. Philippians 4.8. Dwell on things that are true. Not daydreaming. Not your dreams. They're not real. God holds us responsible for what we put into our mind before we go to sleep and what we do when we're awake. But he doesn't hold us responsible what goes on in a dream. That is not how he communicates to us. Uh, and then waiting on the Lord. This is a popular one. Oh, when they say, I prayed about it, I peace about it, and I'm waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is a very popular one that uh, God's people use. And again, I think they mean well. Uh, the word wait, the literal meaning of the word wait, especially the Hebrew word, is to trust. Probably the closest synonym would be trust. Literally to wrap around. Wait is literally wrap around. Those who wait on the Lord do what? They don't sit still. You're not passive. Waiting on the Lord, they, they walk, they, they run, they mount up with wings. They're on the move, but they're trusting. That particular term, Hebrew term. I'll meet men, you know, in seminary who are single and I'm telling you, you know, are you dating anyone or courting, whatever way you go on that one? And uh, no, I'm just waiting on the Lord. What does that mean? 
I mean, you're thinking God's going to drop a woman in front of you like manna to the Hebrews. I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. He's going to uh, bring the girl. No, no, you need to trust God and move. You, you need to be moving, but trusting God as you go. So be careful of that one, that, that passivity. I'm just waiting on the Lord. He's already revealed his will. Now we need to do the work of looking at his commands and principles and making decisions as we trust him. The next one is conscience. We uh, I talked a little bit about that last night. Uh, our conscience, when you look at the biblical instruction on conscience, and you at this church have uh, heard Pastor Brian speak on that uh, this past summer, but in Romans 2.15, we all have a conscience, and God's moral law sort of stamped there on our conscience. We know kind of a right and wrong, but it's our conscience, we can't depend on it. It's infected with sin. So it's, it's our guard, it's not our guide. As J.D. Crowley and Andrew Nicelli write in their book on conscience, your conscience is not a light bulb. It doesn't produce light. They said it's a skylight. It lets light in, but it doesn't produce light. So we have to educate our conscience. We call right wrong and wrong right sometimes. And we have to educate our conscience with scripture. Then you have reason. Relying on our reasoning. This is dangerous. We want to engage our thinking. Our reason, our rationale. We, we, God's not asking us to empty our minds. He's fill your minds, think, ponder, meditate, engage your mind, but don't rely on your own understanding. In Proverbs uh, three verses five and six. An example of this would be a pro-con list. Have you ever made those before? Well, the downside with a pro-con list is if I really want something, guess what side is going to have a lot more pros to it? If I want something, oh, yeah, oh, look at all of the pros. Oh, there's a couple of cons. You'll weight it, either for or against, depending on what you want. So that's why you don't rely on your own understanding. What does Scripture say? Commands and principles. A pseudo-faith, this is a faith that really isn't uh, based on what God has said in his word. It's a make-believe faith. It's, I just want something and I'm going to believe it by faith. But faith in the Bible, when, when God would talk about those who have faith in Hebrews chapter 11, or the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus had to say something. God had to give a promise. And people believed God and what he said and then acted on it. That's living by faith. So when we make decisions, it's, it's like every decision underneath your feet is commands and principles. Like underneath every decision you make, it's, it's because of these commands and principles. Because these commands and principles. It's not make-believe or i just going to claim something by faith. That's not biblical faith. The centurion said, I want you, Lord, to come heal my, my servant. 
And Jesus said, here, I'll come. He said, don't, you don't need to come. I understand you're God. You just say the words and I'm on my way home. You say it that he's okay and I'm going home. But you have to say it. And Jesus said, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. Great faith. It was based on what God said, not what you want or think and make up. So that a lot of the pseudo-faith is going on today. I'm just going to claim this by faith. I'm going to do this by faith. Well, do you have any commands and principles backing up what your decision is? That's what we ought to be looking for. Then you have fasting. Uh, fasting in, in Scripture seems to be related to times of concentrated decision-making or a time of suffering where people are uh, setting aside eating to give themselves to prayer uh, or a, an event that's going on in their life uh, where they're, they want to devote themselves totally uh, to prayer and God's word. Some people say, well, I prayed and fasted about it, so I, it's God's will. Well, you may have prayed and you may be thinner, but it doesn't mean that it is what God wants. Fasting is not a like a magic foot, a magic component. Add this to anything, and it's definitely God's will. Fasting is practiced in the scripture, but it's typically related to uh, times of suffering or a decision. Then you have the call. And people think, well, God had called me to something, it called me to missions or ministry. And that can get really experiential uh, based. Uh, people want and uh, look for signs and people see letters in the cloud. I remember uh, R.B. Kuyper talks about that. A guy came to Westminster Seminary and he said, because I saw PC, the letters PC in a cloud, preach Christ. So I'm at seminary. And R.B. Kuyper writes that the profs after the first semester came back to the guy and said, we think it means plant corn. It's, uh, we have to be extremely careful. This, this call to ministry, call to everything. We're called to be saints. Paul was called to be an apostle. Uh, the first missionaries were called and sent out by the church. I like, uh, Jim George has a chapter on the call to ministry. It's in the book Pastoral Ministry where he uses call as an acronym. You have to keep to the text of Scripture about a call to ministry or missions. And the C is confirmation by God and godly leaders. It was the godly leaders who chose people to to serve him full-time in the book of Acts. So the C is for confirmation from God using godly leaders in the church. A would be for ability. Uh, do you have serving gifts or speaking gifts? I mean, how are you spiritually gifted? And has that been confirmed? So A would be for ability. The the first L uh, in biblical principles is a lifestyle of integrity. Looking at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it's a lifestyle of integrity. Uh, the character qualities that leadership is held to. And then the last L is for a, a more subjective aspect of longing. Do you want to shepherd God's people? 
Do you want to serve God full time? That was very helpful. A confirmation, ability, a lifestyle of integrity, and a longing. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler refers to this call to ministry in two aspects. He has an external and an internal aspect to the call to ministry. And you go, well, what's the external? Confirmation by godly leaders, ability, and a lifestyle of character, godly character. Oh, so it's objective. It's outside of you. It's biblical principles. Well, what's the internal aspect of the call to ministry? You have to really want to. It's the same thing. It's just, but it's not all subjective uh, in, in a this kind of decision making. It's not all subjective. It's, there's objective principles from God's word. Then you have the small group method. The small group, that's where someone will pull you aside and say, the Lord says if two or three gather and agree, God will do it. So we have this decision to make. I was pulled aside in one church on a Sunday evening. Two guys said, uh, can you come pray with us? I said, what are you praying about? Well, we, we, we want something to happen. And, and the scripture says if two or three gather and agree, it'll be done. I'm not sure why they needed me. It just said of two, but they wanted three to make sure. And I said, uh, you're, that's, that passage is about church discipline. It's not name it and claim it. Uh, it's in Matthew uh, 18, and it's talking about there were two or three gather and agree. It's been confirmed in heaven because they, the mouth of two or three witnesses. It, it's not about just name this and claim this and agree and you get it. Then this uh, modern day sort of prophecy movement. In some churches, they're talking about a prophetic moment. Uh, God is not giving more revelation. It ceased. So what is going on in some of these services where they have this, quote, prophetic moment, which I wish they wouldn't use that kind of terminology because prophecy in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 13 and I think in also chapter 17 Number two test. It has to be orthodox, and if it doesn't happen, you kill the person. And that's not going on in modern modern day prophecy. What is it, though, that they're doing when they go in some of these churches and they have a mic and I have a prophetic moment? It's just encouragement. It's exhortation. It's not new revelation. God isn't giving new revelation. I wish they would just say, I just have a, a, an encouragement. Can I say something that would maybe encourage the body of Christ? Then use the scripture and do that, and use it properly. Or, uh, I think the body of Christ, as we know the body, that maybe we need an exhortation or an admonition. But it ought to come from scripture. It's, we don't want to hear what someone else has to say. We want, what does God say? Now, the last one that I put there that I have is over-analysis of the unimportant. Some people spend an enormous amount of time trying to make a decision on something that is unimportant. It's very, there's no weight to the decision. For example, uh, one person that uh, I was supervising was counseling a man and he got all caught up with when he would go shopping. He, he was a single guy, and he 
was looking at cereal and choosing a cereal. And he spent about, an, the, my, the student that I was supervising said it was about an hour in the aisle trying to just pick out some cereal. And it's not that he had an allergy to something that he had to look at every ingredient to make sure. I mean, some allergies can be very uh, harmful. I mean, uh, serious. No, it wasn't that. He just was looking at everything, weighing it. That's an hour, uh, probably about 59 minutes wasted. We're to redeem the time. Put the time, more time, in the more weightier issues in decision-making, less time in the unimportant. Try to move quickly because we only have so much time to serve the Lord with and to bring him glory. Well, that was a lot, and there's etc. cetera. Uh, you may have other ways that uh, you make decisions or have heard people make decisions. I, I want to encourage you. We've all done these. The encouragement is God doesn't want us to be relying on these ways to make decisions. He wants us, what does the scripture say? God's authoritative and certain word. The commands, are there commands about any decision I'm making? Are there principles that will help me in making my decisions? And God, again, is so patient, so long-suffering with us, when we're immature and we're all over the place, and as last night I was saying, I'm looking at tree limbs and look like an A, so I, I went to Atlanta and worked there for the summer. God doesn't, he, he's, he's patient with his children. He's long-suffering. Uh, but he's growing us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's growing us. He doesn't want to leave us in the immaturity uh, decision-making, as many of us at one time were. And if we willfully sinned and we violated God's revealed will, you've never missed his decreed will. You're not on a different path in your life. You may have consequences of the decisions that you have made, but you haven't missed his decreed will. He still loves and cares for you. And now he wants, what does the scripture say? Don't violate, know the word of God, don't violate his word. So there's uh, some questions to re- review, even from last night. Are you facing a decision right now? I, I mean, in a room this size, I'm sure there are people who are making some fairly weighty decisions. That you really need to sp- put some more time in. Uh, I'm going to study the scripture I'm going to engage some of these principles in my decision-making that I have to make right now. And some of you may be pressed for time on some decisions. I usually like asking people when they ask me a question to make a decision, when do you need to know by? I, I like asking that because I, I need some time, depending on how weighty it is. I may need some time to pray and think and study when do you need to know by, and then I will get back with you as I've had time to ponder the commands and principles prayerfully for the glory of God. And some of you have already made decisions. Remember last night I said, short of marriage, you don't reevaluate that one. 
uh, you are married. But have you made a major decision lately that you need to reevaluate in light of God's decision? Maybe they're, whoa, that was not so wise what I did. Uh, how can I change for the glory of God? It may not be that I can change tomorrow, but maybe in a few months I can change course and make sure we're on a trajectory towards God's revealed will for his glory. A good reminder, again, as we are thinking through the decisions we make on a daily basis, thousands of them, and some of them obviously weightier than others. Now, after the break... I want us to go in, so let's look at what are the commands and principles and how do we make decisions. It's not complicated. It's challenging, but it's not complicated. And we'll even get, we'll end with, uh, what about a pet? Does God's word have anything to say about getting a pet? Or for some of you, getting rid of a pet. Uh, but we'll, we'll handle that, Lord willing, after the break. So you, Uh, are dismissed. I think we're coming back at 10.15.